Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People v. Slade, decided on May 6, 2021. Garcia, J. In these three appeals, defendants challenge the facial sufficiency of the accusatory instrument filed against them, arguing that participation of a translator in the process of documenting the information from first-party witnesses with limited English proficiency created a hearsay defect requiring dismissal of the instrument. In the first two cases, applying our well-settled precedent, we hold that no facial defect was evident within the four corners of the accusatory instrument. Moreover, even in the third case where the participation of a translator was documented within the witness's supporting affidavit, we conclude that no additional layer of hearsay was created by the use of a translator and therefore that accusatory instrument too was facially sufficient. Defendants have a right to be prosecuted by an information that meets all statutory requirements, as was the case here, but we declined to impose additional barriers to participation in the process for victims with limited English proficiency. 1. A. Kenneth Slade. Slade assaulted his wife, the victim, at the home they shared and was charged in a misdemeanor complaint with assault in the third degree, a class of misdemeanor, and harassment in the second degree, a violation. The victim, as the deponent, asserted the following in the complaint. At the above time and place, while she was seated in a chair, Slade grabbed her by both her arms and lifted her off of the chair then threw her back onto the chair. As a result of Slade's aforementioned actions she experienced bruising, swelling, and substantial pain to both arms and lower back and experienced annoyance, alarm, and fear for her physical safety. The victim verified the complaint by signing it beneath the form notice stating that false statements made therein were punishable as a class of misdemeanor. See CPL 100.301, D. In a certificate of translation, prepared on the same day as the complaint, a translator stated that she translated the English language complaint to the victim, including the form notice, in Spanish and that the victim confirmed to the translator that she understood what was translated. At Slade's arraignment, the people announced that they were ready for trial, relying on the first-party complaint. However, the people did not file or serve the certificate of translation at that time, only doing so more than two years later upon Slade's request for the document. Slade thereafter moved to dismiss the accusatory instrument on statutory speedy trial grounds, arguing that the people's statements of readiness were illusory because the filing of the certificate was necessary to convert the complaint into an information. See People v. Colon reinstated for the reason stated in Crim Court, the people cannot be ready for trial. If they have not converted the complaint to a jurisdictionally sufficient information, Criminal court denied the motion and, following a bench trial, found Slade guilty of attempted assault in the third degree and harassment in the second degree and imposed sentence. The appellate term affirmed, concluding, as relevant here, that the first party complaint signed by the victim needed no certificate of translation for conversion to an information, since there was no indication on the face of the instrument that she had not read and understood it or was incapable of doing so, a judge of this court granted Slade leave to appeal. B. Keith Brooks, Keith Brooks. The people filed an English-language misdemeanor complaint charging Brooks with driving while intoxicated, a misdemeanor, and other vehicle and traffic law offenses. The deponent, a police officer, stated that a witness related the following. 
that he saw Brooks operating a van, that the van rear-ended the witness's vehicle, and that Brooks fled without providing any identifying information. The deponent police officer claimed, based on his own observation, that Brooks exhibited signs of intoxication and that he was present when Brooks refused a breathalyzer test. The people were not ready at arraignment because they lacked supporting depositions from the witness and another police officer. Later, the people simultaneously filed an off-calendar statement of readiness, the two outstanding supporting depositions, and a certificate of translation. The witness's supporting deposition stated that he had, read the complaint, and that the facts attributed to him in that document pertaining to Brooks's operation of the van and actions after the crash were, true upon his personal knowledge. The witness signed the deposition under a form notice stating that false statements made therein were punishable as a class of misdemeanor, as required for verification, see CPL 100.301, d. In the certificate, a translator said that she translated the English-language, accusatory instrument, to the witness, including the form notice, in Spanish and that the witness confirmed to the translator that he understood what was translated. At a subsequent calendar call, criminal court determined that the certificate of translation was defective because it failed to state the translator's qualifications. As a result, the court concluded that the complaint was not converted to an information and that the people would be charged speedy trial time until they filed a proper affidavit of translation. After the people refused to take any additional steps to convert the complaint on the ground that no further action was required by the CPL to effectuate conversion, the court granted Brooks's motion to dismiss the accusatory instrument on statutory speedy trial grounds. The appellate term affirmed, concluding that criminal court, providently exercised its discretion in requiring a proper certificate of translation to be produced in order to convert the complaint into an information, because the people, provided sufficient indicia, of the witness's inability to understand English when they filed the translator's statement with the supporting deposition. The court further determined that the certificate of translation filed by the people failed to convert the complaint within the speedy trial period because the certificate, did not comply with CPLR 2101, b. A judge of this court granted the people leave to appeal. c. Charo N. Allen. Allen was charged with menacing in the second degree, a class of misdemeanor, after she allegedly threatened a restaurant worker, the complainant, with a knife. A police officer drafted the English-language misdemeanor information, which stated that the charge was based on the complainant's sworn statement to the effect that Allen, a customer at the restaurant where the complainant was working, became angry because the complainant informed her that she could not leave the establishment with an alcoholic beverage. The situation escalated, and Allen allegedly threatened the complainant with a steak knife. The deposition includes a representation that the complainant, had this statement consisting of one page read to her in Spanish, by a police officer and that she swore that it was the truth. The complainant verified the deposition by signing it under a form notice stating that false statements made therein were punishable as a class of misdemeanor, see CPL 100.301, d. Allen moved to dismiss the accusatory instrument as facially insufficient, contending that the translation created a layer of hearsay that the people failed to appropriately remedy. In opposition, the people filed an affidavit of translation executed by the officer who translated the deposition. He swore that he understood English and Spanish and that the complainant's statement was a true and accurate translation by him of the complainant's spoken Spanish statement. The officer averred that he translated the written English statement into Spanish for the complainant and she signed the deposition after confirming its accuracy. 
The district court adjourned Allen's motion and directed the people to file a superseding information that included 1. A verified affidavit from the complainant, in the language of said individual, including a verification in that language, 2. An English translation of that document, and 3. An affidavit by the translator stating his qualifications and attesting to the accuracy of the translation, as purportedly required by CPLR 2101b. The people ultimately declined to do so, and the court dismissed the matter on facial sufficiency grounds. The appellate term affirmed. The court explained that there was no evidence that the complainant had reviewed her written English statement for its truth and accuracy, and, therefore, a certificate of translation was required to cure the hearsay defect, since the written English statement was being used to support the accusatory instrument. A judge of this court granted the people leave to appeal. 2. A misdemeanor complaint serves merely as the basis for commencement of a criminal action, permitting court arraignment and temporary control over the defendant's person where there is as yet no prima facie case, People v. Weinberg. To proceed with a prosecution, however, a misdemeanor complaint must be replaced by an information. Simply stated, the requirements for the factual portion of a local criminal court information are that it state facts of an evidentiary character supporting or tending to support the charges, that the allegations of the factual part, together with those of any supporting depositions, provide reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed the offense charged, and that the non-hearsay allegations of the information and supporting depositions establish, if true, every element of the offense charged and the defendant's commission thereof, People v. Casey. At issue in these appeals is the last of the listed requirements, namely that non-hearsay allegations, if true, support a prima facie case. This requirement is meant to protect a defendant against groundless criminal proceedings by providing reasonable guarantees against baseless prosecutions not predicated on probable cause. That protection was amply afforded by the first-person allegations made in each of the accusatory instruments at issue here. A. Slade and Brooks we can resolve the challenges to the accusatory instruments in Slade and Brooks by applying our well-settled rules regarding facial sufficiency. As we recently reiterated, in evaluating the sufficiency of an accusatory instrument, a court does not look beyond its four corners, including supporting declarations appended thereto. People v. Hardy. See CPL 100.153-100.401-C. People v. Thomas. Courts must, not rely on external factors to create jurisdictional defects not evident from the face of the, accusatory instrument, people v. Konyechny. Instead, whether the allegation of an element of an offense is hearsay, rendering the information defective, is to be determined on a facial reading of the accusatory instrument, Casey. Defects that do not appear on the, the face of the, accusatory instrument are, latent deficiencies, that do not require dismissal, matter of Edward B. See matter of Nelson R. In matter of Edward B., we considered whether an accusatory instrument that was supported in relevant part only by hearsay was jurisdictionally defective and must be dismissed. When the hearsay character of the facts alleged in the supporting deposition was not facially apparent but was discovered at some point in the course of the proceeding, the hearsay defect, an assistant corporation counsel's unconfirmed summary of the complainant's statement, was first discovered by the respondent during the fact-finding hearing on the juvenile delinquency petition. We concluded that, although there was indeed a hearsay defect in light of the assistant's actions, in editing and revising the complainant's version of events before transcribing it, 
The defect was properly classified as a latent deficiency because the claimed flaw was not apparent from the face of the instrument itself. Explaining that the relevant Family Court Act provisions were analogous to the provisions of the CPL governing facial sufficiency, which permit dismissal only if the error is apparent from the face of the accusatory instrument, see CPL 100.40, we held that latent deficiencies in the accusatory instrument that are revealed during the trial or hearing do not provide a ground for mandatory dismissal, see Matter of Edward B. Matter of Edward B. therefore specifically rejected the notion that a latent deficiency renders a facially sufficient accusatory instrument a nullity. We later made clear that the holding in Matter of Edward B. was not limited to latent deficiencies discovered during a trial or fact-finding hearing. See Matter of Nelson R. Latent deficiency identified prior to the fact-finding hearing did not render the petition facially insufficient and, therefore, did not mandate pre-hearing dismissal. Nor was it limited to family court proceedings, see Casey, applying matter of Edward B. to criminal proceedings. In sum, neither the statutes establishing the criteria for accusatory instruments, nor the policies underlying those statutes suggest that an inquiry beyond the facial validity of the accusatory instrument is necessary or even appropriate, matter of Edward B. Slade argues that the English-language misdemeanor complaint filed against him contained hearsay because the complaint did not set forth the victim's personal knowledge and observations, but rather was merely the translator's interpretation of her statement. Even assuming that an accurate translation creates a layer of hearsay for pleading purposes, a contention we reject in the next section, the accusatory instrument here is facially sufficient because, as in matter of Edward B., there is no hearsay defect apparent on the face of the document. As the appellate term concluded, there was no indication on the face of the first-party complaint that the victim had not read and understood it or was incapable of doing so, see matter of Shaquana S. Although a certificate of translation was created at the same time as the complaint, it was not referenced or incorporated in that document and therefore the certificate cannot be used to create a facial defect, otherwise undetectable on the face of the accusatory instrument. No inquiry beyond the instrument's face is required or appropriate. Brooks alleged a latent deficiency, and made his speedy trial motion earlier in the pretrial proceedings than Slade. Irrespective of the timing of its discovery, however, a latent deficiency in a facially sufficient accusatory instrument does not mandate dismissal, see matter of Nelson R. As in Slade, the face of the complaint and the witnesses supporting deposition in Brooks give no indication that the documents were translated for the witness or that he failed to read, have read to him, or understand the English language documents. And, as with Slade, the four corners of the complaint, including the witnesses accompanying supporting deposition, contain no indication of any translation or other potential hearsay defect. Although the certificate of translation was filed at the same time as the witnesses supporting deposition, it is not part of that document. Nor is it part of the complaint. Brooks's attempt to use an external factor, the certificate, to establish a hearsay defect not evident on the face of the complaint and supporting depositions fails to raise any facial deficiency and must therefore be rejected. Moreover, the CPL does not require a certificate of translation, let alone a certificate in any particular form, to create a facially sufficient instrument, see CPL 100.15, 1. The uniform rules for trial courts generally direct courts exercising criminal jurisdiction to comply with the applicable provisions of CPLR 2101, 22 NYCRR 200.3, 
CCPLR 2101-B, where an affidavit or exhibit annexed to a paper served or filed is in a foreign language, it shall be accompanied by an English translation and an affidavit by the translator stating their qualifications and that the translation is accurate. However, the specific rules applicable to facial sufficiency of misdemeanor informations are found in the CPL and the governing provisions do not require a certificate of translation or the affidavit of a translator. CPLR 2101-B cannot be used to override those specific requirements, see People v. Douglas, and we decline to affect that result by judicial fiat, see Rivera, J, but see Wilson, J. As both informations were facially sufficient, we hold that the courts below properly denied Slade's CPL 30.30 motion, but erroneously granted Brooks's statutory speedy trial motion. B. Allen. While the accusatory instruments in Slade and Brooks contain no facial indication that a translation occurred, in Allen, the complainant stated in her supporting deposition that she had the one-page English language statement read to her in Spanish by a police officer. Allen argues that this creates an additional layer of hearsay and that the hearsay character of the facts alleged in the supporting deposition is therefore facially apparent. We disagree. Hearsay, of course, is, an out-of-court statement admitted for the truth of the matter asserted, people v. Bowie, and the hearsay rule generally prohibits the introduction of such statements at trial, see people v. Salco. In the accusatory instrument context, the focus is on whether the person making the statement had first-hand personal knowledge of the events described or whether the third-party statement falls within a hearsay exception, see Casey, matter of Edward B. The issue here is whether a witness's use of a translator creates a layer of hearsay that runs afoul of the CPL's facial sufficiency requirements for misdemeanor informations. Other courts have grappled with the applicability of the hearsay rule to testimony related through an interpreter. In the context of trial testimony by a witness relating to statements that were interpreted to him, the Second Circuit concluded that, except in unusual circumstances, an interpreter is, no more than a language conduit and therefore, the interpreter's, translation, does, not create an additional, layer, of hearsay, United States v. Lopez, quoting United States v. Coscarides, see United States v. Martinez-Gayton. Courts have applied this rule to declarants when there is nothing in the record to suggest that the interpreter had any motive to mislead or distort, and there is no indication that the translation was inaccurate. Coscarides. Put another way, in those circumstances, the interpreter is treated as the declarant's agent. See Lopez. See also People v. Quan Hong. This court has signaled that the agency rationale is a tenable theory for admitting interpreted testimony. People v. Romero. We conclude that. When evaluating the facial sufficiency of an accusatory instrument, no hearsay defect exists where, as here, the four corners of the instrument indicate only that an accurate, verbatim translation occurred, and the witness or complainant adopted the statement as their own by signing the instrument after the translation. See Matter of Shaquana S. People v. Ventura. C.F. Matter of Edward B. Supporting deposition contained latent hearsay defect even though the complainant signed the document because the complainant had never read nor been read its contents. In Allen, the complainant's deposition states facts supporting the information in a first-person narrative, asterisk 4, and nothing on the face of the deposition provides any reason to doubt that a precise translation occurred. Therefore, the police officer's translation of the complainant's first-hand account did not create a level of hearsay for pleading purposes.
Rather, the officer merely acted as a language conduit for the complainant's factual assertions. In sum, the information in Allen contained no hearsay defect for pleading purposes. It was facially sufficient and no further documentation, including a certificate of translation, was necessary for conversion. Allen's motion to dismiss was therefore erroneously granted. 3. In an effort to make the hearsay rules for misdemeanor information somehow sacrosanct, the dissents distort the CPL.S statutory framework and ignore the purpose of the procedural requirements for the factual portion of those informations which is to give a defendant notice sufficient to prepare a defense and to prevent a defendant from being tried twice for the same offense, Casey. As an initial matter, an accusatory instrument does not establish the truth, Wilson, J. Rather, the CPL requires, for a prima facie case, non-hearsay allegations that establish, if true, every element of the offense charged and the defendant's commission thereof, Casey. The truth-seeking function is for the fact-finder at trial. Nor does the non-hearsay pleading requirement protect against arrest. CPL 120.201. But see Wilson, J. Likewise, a violation of the non-hearsay rule is both curable and waivable. See Casey. Yet our dissenting colleagues conclude that a violation somehow rises to the level of rendering a misdemeanor information, a legal nullity, and, void ab initio, a drastic remedy that is invoked without any foundation or indeed citation. Rivera, J. Wilson, J. As we made clear in Casey, pleading errors involving omission of elements of the charged crime are fundamental, because they impair a defendant's basic rights to fair notice sufficient to enable preparation of a defense and to prevent double jeopardy. By contrast, hearsay pleading defects do not implicate any of those basic rights of an accused. Indeed, both statutory and decisional law have recognized that a criminal prosecution can validly proceed on a hearsay-based accusatory instrument. We have even held that the statutory right to be prosecuted on a non-hearsay accusatory instrument can be waived by implication. Proper application of the CPL.S non-hearsay pleading requirement simply does not support a conclusion that any involvement by a translator or interpreter to facilitate the recording of a first-party witness statement at the pleading stage mandates some complex authentication method such as the layers of additional steps imposed by the motion court in Allen. See Rivera, J. Wilson, J. Although endorsed by the dissents, that process of translating and re-translating the affidavit, and certifying and qualifying the translator, is neither required nor envisioned by the CPL. Instead, the dissents would have the court graft this impractical procedure onto the statute. In the end, we will have to respectfully disagree with our dissenting colleagues as to what constitutes a common sense and straightforward approach to the filing of an affidavit in support of a misdemeanor information. Wilson, J. Rivera, J. I.V. Our holding with respect to translators and interpreters and hearsay, limited to the context of drafting accusatory instruments at the pleading stage, is consistent not only with our precedent but with sound policy. As of 2011, approximately 2.5 million New York residents had limited English proficiency, which means they do not speak English as their primary language and have limited ability to read, speak, write, or understand English, Executive Order, A. Cuomo. Limited English proficiency presents potential barriers to accessing important government programs or services, including police protection. As one study noted, Limited English proficiency may prevent many individuals from approaching police for assistance or to report victimization, or, if they do come forward, 
Those victims, may be turned away when trying to report a crime in a language other than English. Moreover, New York State residents speak 168 distinct languages and countless dialects, people via Vilas. New York's language diversity may lead to greater challenges for those who speak a language or dialect for which interpreters are difficult to locate, or who attempt to report a crime in a county without, a professionalized class of interpreters, Rivera, J. While rejecting judicially created barriers to reporting crime for persons with limited English proficiency, our conclusion that a certificate of translation is not required to convert a complaint into an information does not prejudice a defendant's statutory right to be prosecuted by a facially sufficient information that contains allegations establishing a legally sufficient case, people v. Alejandro, see matter of Edward B., or to vigorously challenge at trial the allegations asserted in the accusatory instrument. Nor do our holdings addressing an accusatory instrument's facial sufficiency preclude a defendant who discovers such a specific translation-related latent hearsay defect in the accusatory instrument before trial from using other options available under the CPL, if the circumstances warrant, to ensure that the supporting deposition meets statutory requirements, e.g. CPL 170.30. Here, however, no defendant raised credible and particularized allegations of a translation-related latent hearsay defect, whether stemming from an inaccurate translation, a misunderstanding in the verification process, or some other flaw. Accordingly, in Slade, the order of the appellate term should be affirmed. In Brooks and Allen, each order of the appellate term should be reversed and the case remitted to the respective motion court for further proceedings in accordance with this opinion. Decided May 6, 2021. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by Voice Pods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law.